Give him a hand today. Doesn't do a great job every week? Absolutely. Hey, if you've been with us for the past uh, few months now, you know that all that we've been praying about is, is leading up to this big moment. And there's, there's two really big moments about today. One is uh, Commitment Weekend is here, and the second really big thing about this weekend is donuts are back. Did you see them? Did you see the donuts? All right. Amen. Praise God. Okay. Back to Commitment Weekend. Um, no, I'm just joking. No, in all seriousness, you know, this has all been leading up to, to this big moment that we have here this weekend where we as a church family will have the opportunity today to respond with some real radical generosity. God has put before us this uh, wonderful opportunity to go west by launching a second campus. That's what all this is about. This is your first time with us. We've been talking about this language of go west. God has given before us this great opportunity to, for our church to stay one church that meets in two locations for greater kingdom impact. And before we all go home today, I hope that all of us will have responded to this opportunity to come together as a church family in faith and generosity by making a commitment to this Go West campaign. But as you know, this isn't just about building a building. No, no, no. This is about people. This is about evangelism. This is about expanding the kingdom of God. This is about changing family trees. This is about making heaven fuller. This is about um, leaving a lasting legacy that if the Lord takes his time in returning, that our steps of faith right now will leave a mark that will keep giving and keep growing after we are long gone. More people coming to Jesus because of what we're doing right now. I just, uh, I, I feel like God has just put before us something very, very, very special. So we're going to be able to commit to that today. Um, some of you have already turned in your commitment cards, which is fantastic. Others of you came in here today, prayed up, ready to go. You brought your commitment card with you and, uh, and, and you're looking for that opportunity to turn that in. Others of you, maybe not quite so sure yet. Maybe you're not, you're not sure what God is really wanting you to do. And I pray that perhaps throughout the course of this service, you'll see one of these commitment cards on the seats around you. And as God leads you, that you'll step out on faith and make a commitment as well. But ultimately that's between you and the Lord. But this is a big moment for us as a church family. Now, I want to let you know that earlier this week, several members of our staff came to me and said, hey, Joe, how do you see Commitment Weekend going down? How do you, how do you see that playing out? I mean, are we going to sing songs? Are people going to drop it off in baskets? Are there going to be special videos? I mean, how are we going to, I mean, are they just going to drop it off? What, how do you see this going down? And so I tried to explain to the staff my vision for Commitment Sunday. I said, you know, as I've been thinking about it, I think our Commitment Day together well, I, I think it's going to look like this. I told him it's going to look like this. All right, that's enough of that. I don't know where that church is, but they are excited about giving to Jesus, aren't they? And I thought, hey, you know what? I don't know where that is, and, and, uh, but that's, that's exciting. And, you know, in all seriousness, I, this day, if you want to come up here later on in our service when we give our commitments and you want to dance and whatever, no one's going to stop you, all right? It's perfectly fine. Um, and uh, you dance, you be, but, you know, I think, honestly, I think this is going to be a spiritual time together. It's going to be enthusiastic time together and um, as we turn in our cards, which is, like I said, it's going to happen 
Here in a little bit, at the end of our service, we're going to um, turn those in. I'll tell you more about that when the time comes. But until then, if you brought your Bibles, would you go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 12? Mark chapter 12, it's in the New Testament. It's the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. It's one of the four Gospels, Mark chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today. And you know, as we uh, continue in our Go West series, I would like to talk about something today that really impresses God. I mean, when you strip everything away, you just get down to brass tacks and you ask the question, what really impresses God? What impresses my heavenly Father? Well, I believe the answer is in Mark chapter 12. And maybe you don't think about your faith that way. I don't know if you ever thought, man, I, you know, what do I need to do to impress God? I, I don't know, do, do you ever think about it like that? Well, if you do, the answer can be found in Mark chapter 12. Because as I examine the scriptures, and I know many of you have do, and I think about what impresses God, I can find a lot of examples. Like I can think of King David, when he was just a young shepherd boy, he took down Goliath with a sling. That's pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? How about Daniel in the Old Testament? Daniel stood up to a king who issued this ungodly decree, and Daniel's like, I'm not doing that, I'm not changing my faith in the Lord, and he got thrown in the lion's den. That is pretty impressive. I think about the New Testament, Peter and John, after Jesus had risen from the dead and the church got started and they got arrested for healing and teaching about Jesus. And they said, don't ever talk about Jesus again. And they said, uh-uh, we're gonna obey God, not you. I think that's pretty impressive, wouldn't you agree? But there's this one example in scripture that we find in Mark chapter 12 about somebody that was very impressive to the Lord and they weren't a prophet, they weren't a king, they weren't a disciple or anything like that. It comes from a poor widow, and we don't even know her name. She doesn't even have a name in Scripture. But when you think about what impresses God, it's her. In Mark chapter 12, a little context, Jesus' ministry is coming to a close. He's only a few days away from the cross. And Jesus, we catch up with him in the temple courts in Mark chapter 12. He is teaching. There's a lot of activity around there. And, 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 and he's just going back and forth, doing all kinds of stuff. You read the whole Gospels. You know this last week of Jesus' life is very full. And on this particular day, he's in the temple courts. And he encounters some of these teachers of the law while he is teaching his disciples. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Let's read it together. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out. For the teachers of the law, they like to walk around in robes, in flowing robes, and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and to have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Can I get a wow from everybody? Whoa, wow. That is pretty strong. They will be punished for these kinds of things. Could you say with me in agreement that Jesus wasn't impressed with these guys very much at all, these teachers of the law? So here you have Jesus teaching in the temple courts. There are teachers of the law mixed in all around him. In fact, if you read the Gospels, these guys also kind of follow Jesus around looking for ways to trap him. They would hang on every word that he says, just looking for the opportunity. And, and it was no different. So Jesus is saying this, watch out for the teachers of the law, and they are standing right there. It's almost like Jesus saying, look out for that guy back there. Yep, that, that's one of those guys I'm talking. You see this guy over here with the big hat, the big box on his forehead? Watch out for him. They're right there. Is it any wonder that these guys wanted to kill Jesus? 
And when they had the opportunity, they took it. What, what was it about these guys that was so unimpressive to Jesus? Well, first of all, who were the teachers of the law? Well, they were experts in the law, the, the law part of the Old Testament, the rules. And they associated themselves with the religious group of the Pharisees. And what these guys have done together, they, have, they had created or they had added many traditions and requirements to practice their faith. Think of it like this. They created a lot of man-made rules. And these rules were so burdensome that they could not even fulfill them themselves. And Jesus accused them every chance he got, all throughout the Gospels, where he says, uh, he accuses them of loading up heavy burdens on everyday people. He said, that wasn't right. The, these teachers of the law, as I said, they closely observed all of Jesus' activities and Jesus would always push back on their rules and their traditions and, uh, and it all led to the cross. People though, when they saw the teachers of the law, when they saw these religious leaders, people were very impressed with them. And, and no doubt that these teachers of the law, they thought they were pretty impressive in God's eyes too. But look at what Jesus says was so unimpressive. What did he say? He said, these guys like to walk around with these flowing robes. You imagine, I get this image like somebody walking slow motion with their, the wind blowing the robes back like this. Look at me, look at my nice clothes. And Jesus is like, I am so unimpressed with your fancy clothes. He says, I'm unimpressed with the fact that you guys like to be greeted and recognized when you walk around town. In other words, saying, you guys enjoy the spotlight? Unimpressed with that. He goes, you guys like to have the most important seat at banquets and at the synagogue. You like it when you walk into a room and, you, and people go, oh, no, this is your seat right here, the place of honor. And she's like, ah, that doesn't do it for me. Jesus like, these guys like to make lengthy prayers. And he said, all they do is it's all about impressing the people around them, but they are unimpressive to Jesus. Jesus could care less about their clothes, could care less about um, who recognized them on the street, could care less if they got the honor or not or the best seat. He did not care that they could pray longer prayers than anybody else. And we read this, we go, well, of course Jesus was unimpressed because if you've been around church for very long, we'd learned about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and there was plenty of things to be unimpressed about. But I think if we're being honest, and I think we should have some reflective moments when we study God's word, and we should turn a question on ourselves once in a while and ask this, are we all that different from them? Really, when, are we all that different from them? I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't want people to be unimpressed with me. Don't we all have a little bit in us that we want people to think really good of us? And, and, to be, and isn't it sometimes true that, that we run the risk of doing things and make ourselves look more impressive than perhaps we should? Even if we don't really think about it, going to, but there's something is we want people to think really good of us and to think more highly than we should. And I, I think if we're being honest, we should ask the question, are we all that different today? You know, Paul, when he was teaching the church, he addressed this very thing. Romans chapter 12, verse three, listen to what Paul says. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul is saying this, you're better off being humble. That's what he's saying. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you're better off being a humble person. Following in the footsteps of Jesus, 
humbly, not thinking more highly of yourself, not making these strange demands, the things that God finds so unimpressive. Paul's saying, be humble. God loves that. Here's a truth. Here's a reality, really. That what we think impresses God is usually what he finds most unimpressive about us. If you really think about it, I think you'd agree with that. What we think impresses God, like what the teachers of the law, the Pharisees thought impressed God, really are the very things that God finds the most unimpressing about us. Now, look at the very next verse, verse 41. This is the very next thing that happens. It says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts of money. So in verse 41, there's a transition. Jesus goes from teaching to observing. He goes from teaching all these people about what's so unimpressive about these teachers of the law. And then he goes from teaching to observing. And what is he observing? He's observing people who are giving their offerings. It is Passover time. So this celebration that people come in from all the surrounding areas to celebrate the Passover. And with that celebration, many of them make their way up to the temple courts area and they give their offerings to God, their free will offerings that uh, they brought. And what Jesus is pointing out and what we know from history is that it wasn't uncommon for many rich people to make great fanfare of their gifts. You see, there was these containers that they put their gifts in. If you know uh, much about how the temple was set up and how people gave their gift, there were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles that people put their offerings in. And so when people came in and they had a lot of money, they had bags of coins, and they would drop it into these trumpet-shaped receptacles that were made out of a thin metal. What does it sound like when you drop a bag of coins into a metal plate? (laughs) Really loud, doesn't it? It makes a loud noise. So can you imagine as Jesus is observing this going on, there are some rich people that came in and they dump in lots of coins. It's just really loud. And what do people do? Whoa, what do we do when we hear something like that? Whoa, listen to all that. Man, that person's given a lot of money. Holy cow, did you hear how that money went into the offering plate. I remember one church I was serving one time and we had metal offering plates that used to pass down. Remember how we used to do it before COVID? You know, it was like metal plates that goes down. And I don't remember what church it was now, but what I remember, it was really quiet, soft music people. And one of the kids brought in a whole bag of pennies and went clang really loud and everybody jumped like, whoa. And you know, imagine that, but somebody that really wanted you to be impressed by how much they gave. And they would make a big show of this. They would just ring out. It's interesting. I don't know if it's a direct parallel, but it does remind me of something that Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount a few years before this. It's in Matthew chapter six. Jesus is talking about our heart and, and what we do and what motivates us to give. And he says in, the, in verse two of chapter six, he says, when you give to needy people, He said, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is like, don't don't make a big show of this. Don't announce it with trumpets. Now, you know, Jesus, of course, is saying, don't draw attention to what you're doing. 
you know, but, but give quietly in secret. It's not about how much you receive. It's about what you're doing before God. And I just find it interesting that Jesus had announced it with trumpets. Now, I don't know if he's pulling the two thoughts together, but it does interest me a little bit. Announcing with trumpets when 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles, it's just interesting. So Jesus is there, he's watching these people who he seems to point out that they're more impressed with, or they're more interested in impressing others with their gifts. So he calls his disciples over because he wants them to see what he is seeing. And he just told them, he's like, I'm unimpressed with showiness, I'm unimpressed with self-glory. He says, I want you to watch something. This is what really impresses me. Now let's read it again. What did Jesus want them to see? Look at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury, these 13 metal receptacles. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and she put in two small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has given more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You have this moment here at the temple where the eyes of the Lord literally are riveted on this lonely, solitary widow who came to the temple to give. Think about it. Jesus' full attention is watching this. Now, her gift represents absolutely the smallest sum of money that somebody could possess. It was so little, in fact, that she, by law, she wasn't even required to give it. There was a rabbinic rule back then that stated that if you had an offering of less than two lepta, that you didn't need to give it, and you should just keep it. In other words, the rule was about, don't waste our time with such small donations we can't do anything with. That's what that rule was about. And so this humble gift that she brought... It's all that she had, but it propelled her. This gift propelled her far beyond in the realm of sacrifice than anything that anybody else gave that day. The people that were making a lot of noise with their large gifts, Jesus is saying, that's nothing compared to what this lady had, had given this widow. He, he doesn't speak to her. There's no record where Jesus addressed her uh, personally. But he points to her radical generosity. He points to her example, not the others, to teach his disciples the value that God places on things like genuine sacrifice and wholehearted commitment. You know, God is not, show, not interested and he's not impressed with showy religion. And so much of what we see out there today is showy religion. Look at me. He's not impressed with that. What really impresses God is genuine sacrifice and wholehearted commitment. So, as we learn these things from Scripture, we have again, we have to get to turn the question back on ourselves and ask this very introspective, reflective, personal question. And it says, does our walk with God represent genuine sacrifice and commitment? Or is my walk with God about other things? Is my walk with God about other motivations, keeping my parents happy? Is my motivation about making friends, perhaps? Is my motivation of being a Christian, is it to build a network? Is it to build partnerships? What is my motivation for being a Christian? I can tell you that what the Lord is impressed with is genuine sacrifice 
and commitment to his one and only son. That's what the Lord is impressed with. I was reading not too long ago about a a very wealthy Christian businessman who was gonna take a trip around the world. He had some friends and they had the money and they were gonna take this multiple months long trip around the world to see all these places. And so he told his pastor, hey, you're not gonna see me for a couple months. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere long term. I'm just taking a trip around the world. I couldn't be more excited. Something I've wanted to do my whole life. And so his pastor said, hey, when you do that, he said, would you take a few pictures of things that you see that really jump out at you, maybe that shock you, or maybe impress you. I know, I'm not interested in the touristy stuff, but I want you to take some pictures of things that nobody ever sees, and then when you come back, let's talk, that's the stuff I want to hear about on your trip. He goes, I'll do it. So his trip began, and his travels eventually took him to Korea, of all places. And the tour guide, they had local tour guides that took him to places that, you know, they wouldn't see normally if they were just on their own. And he took them out kind of in the countryside. And that's where this Christian wealthy businessman saw something that he had never seen before. Really, it really surprised him. He saw an old man out in the field pulling a plow just like an ox would pull a plow. He was pulling it by hand. And this so struck him that he pulled out his phone and he took a picture and he's like, wow, Never seen anything like that before. And he said to his tour guide, he said, I'm assuming that he's pulling that because he is a very poor man. And and the answer from the tour guide is, oh yes, it's very, very poor. In fact, I know the family. That is the Chinao family. And I know that they're Christians. And here recently, the church that they're a part of was building uh, a new building, but they had no, 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 uh, no money to give. And so they sold their ox and they gave that money to the church. And so now the family, they take turns this spring pulling the plow by hand. And this wealthy Christian businessman, just, it just kind of impacted him. And he said, wow, what a sacrifice. That's, that's a tremendous sacrifice. And the tour guide said, well, it's interesting. They didn't call it a sacrifice They just thought they were fortunate enough that they had an ox to sell. And this businessman got real quiet. This moment really had an impact on him. You know, when he got home, he took that one picture to the pastor. He said, I got one picture to show you. And he sat down and he showed him the picture of this man pulling the plow. And he said, Pastor, I want to start giving. And I need some plow work to do. Because I've never known what genuine sacrifice meant until I saw that guy, this Christian, out in Kafield in Korea, taught me about sacrifice. And he said, Pastor, I'm so ashamed that I've never given anything or done anything that ever cost me anything. I've never had to sacrifice in my life. I got to get plowing. You know, salvation is free. But being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, well, that can be quite costly in many ways. You know, there's a lot of lessons we could take away from Mark 12, just these couple verses about a nameless widow who gave everything she had. But there's three lessons I just want to share with you real quickly today. And the first one is this, genuine sacrifice and commitment elevates value. Genuine sacrifice and commitment elevates value. What did Jesus say about this poor widow? She gave more than everyone else. 
Her gift was more valuable. Why would Jesus say that? And how is that even possible? How can her gift be more valuable than anything else? I'll tell you why. Because when there is sacrifice in the giver, there will be power in the gift. And that's how it works in God's economy. It just works that way. When there's sacrifice in the giver, there is power in the gift. And I hope that resonates with all of us today. You know, as we've come to this moment all prayed up about God, what do you want me to sacrifice? What do you want me to give so that we can go west and, and, and expand the kingdom and save souls? What do you want me to give? I know there are some in our church family that can give. They could contribute large amounts. And then there's others that might say, well, my contribution is very small. But you know what Mark 12 teaches me? That it's not the size of the gift that impresses God. It is the sacrifice of the giver. And where there is sacrifice in the giver, there will be power in the gift. I read this one time and it meant a lot to me. It just says, often, we may, often what may seem so small and inconsequential are the small hinges that are fastened to huge doors that open up to fresh power and anointing. What really impresses God has nothing to do with, with what's in the bank, but rather what's in your heart. So genuine sacrifice and commitment, it elevates value. The second lesson that I see in Mark 12 is this. Genuine sacrifice and commitment is being observed. I would imagine that most of us don't live our lives every single second of every single day with the awareness God's watching. God sees everything. God's observing how I live my life. But the text states what? What does it tell us? Jesus sat down and he watched what was being given. He watches sacrifice. He knows our heart. You know, something that, again, as I turn questions back on myself from Mark chapter 12, I'm thinking Jesus was watching this widow and he uses her example to teach his disciples. And I wonder, if God were to teach a lesson based on what he observes from us, just based on our giving and what he observes in us, I wonder what lesson he would teach. I can tell you this, that his lesson would have nothing to do with the amount of anything that anybody gave, and it would have everything to do with the sacrifice in the heart that went into it. Third lesson that I see in our text is this, genuine sacrifice and commitment, it all comes down to faith. At the end of the day, this is about faith. This is about the understanding and the belief that God owns it all and God will care for you and God will take care of you. And you know, if we had the time, we could set a microphone right here at the front and I would imagine in this room there would be countless testimonies where you would say, this is absolutely true. Where God was a source, God provided, God took care of me and I'm a living, walking, breathing testimony of God's care. I believe it's gonna be like this. Just like what Paul said to the church, Philippians 4.19, he says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It comes down to faith. Your walk with God, and that's it. Before we go here, I want you to hear from one of our long-term members here at the church who shared with us some of his thoughts on generosity and faith and, and seeing God care. And I believe he has some really important things to share with us. Here, watch the screen behind me. You know, we came to New Life uh, back in 1993. The main thing that 
really anchored us here was the Bible. They taught the Bible, they preached the Bible. They were all about the fundamentals. Generosity is something that's, uh, it comes from the heart. It's not uh, something that comes in our head or uh, that just happens. For me, it's giving my full self. It's my time, it's my tithe, it's my everything, it's my skills, my traits, whatever I have to give to God and His kingdom and His people, uh, that's generosity. You know, we all have ups and downs, and you know, there's been lows in my life, there's been highs in my life, and new life has always been there for me and my family. They, they always have been there. And I'm talking some real lows and some real highs. You know, there was a time many years ago when I, you know, I had three little girls at home and a wife that uh, we didn't think she's going to make it. She, you know, she got ill and and for all practical purposes, they felt like that she was going to pass. That's pretty low. And. It pushed on my faith. It tried me in many ways. And without the grace of God and His people from New Life to hold me up, to carry me on when I was unable to carry myself. Uh, and we're not talking a short period of time, you know, we're talking years where the New Life family picked me up and my family, and they carried us through the storm. And this place really means everything to me as far as this is where I walk my faith. This is where I strengthen. This is where I worship. This is where I prepare to go out the door to spread the good news. Giving it new life uh, has been transformational experience for me. I've been attending here for some 25 years and uh, God has shown me over and over and over uh, that He is in control and that He takes my giving, whatever that be, time, money, and just multiplies that in ways that, that I do see, you know, being a part of this congregation. And He's blessed me in so many ways. But also I know that through that giving, uh, that there will be things that He does that, uh, that I'll never know. And, and I take uh, joy in knowing that God blesses that in, in, in many ways. There are so many people uh, in our own backyards in Northwest Arkansas that don't know the good news. And God has commanded us to go and to tell the good news. And that's what we're doing. We're being faithful to God by taking the resources that we have, where they need to go to spread the word. This is a God thing. You know, this is not a people thing. This is not a new life thing. Uh, new life, uh, the people of new life, they follow God period. They just follow God. They, they follow the Bible. They follow God. And we would not be talking about going west unless God said, let's go west. 
So I have complete faith and trust in, in this body to take this and to run with it. And it's something that we are going to do. God has blessed us to be able to do this. Uh, so go west. We're going. Go west. We're going. That's how I feel, and I know many of you do as well. And just here in a moment, uh, John and the worship team is going to come out here, and they're going to lead us in two more worship songs. We have about 10 minutes left in our service. And while we're, John's leading us in worship, you're going to have an opportunity to respond with your commitments. And again, this is between you and the Lord. This is something that you know, many of you have been praying about for a long time. And as God has impressed upon you, and maybe God has inspired you today, and maybe you weren't even planning on filling out a commitment card, but you just the Lord spoke to you today, and said, I'm going to do that. But this is the time where we're going to all stand together, and we're, we're going to sing, and we're going to worship. And you know, we've got some of our pastors around here, and, and in the back, we've got two stations up here, and we've got one station back there. Some of our elders are going to be spread out. And I want you to know that as you give your commitment, um, this whole front area, the whole back area, you can pray. This is, you want to pray over it. If you want to grab one of our pastors, say, I want you to pray with me as, as we give this gift or this commitment. Um, you know, you can turn in your seat and go to a knee and pray. This is a moment where we're going to do some business with God and we're going to follow the prompting of the Spirit. And if he so leads you, then this is that time. So we're going to sing for about seven or eight minutes, I guess. And, and during that time, you pray, you worship, you give, you follow what the Lord wants you to do. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to stand and worship. Lord, a lot has come down to this moment, and I just pray, God, that, that, uh, that you be over this time, Lord. And we, you, we are in your hands, God. We know it. Lord, we've seen your provisions many times. We've seen your, uh, you care for us, Lord. When we didn't have answers, you provided them, Lord. This will be no different. Lord, I, I pray that what happens here is what you're really impressed with the heart, the faith, the movement of what you're doing, God, more than us. So Lord, it's our pleasure and honor to be used in such a way. So Lord, guide us in this moment, and it's in Jesus' name, amen.